ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. And if you're not ready, you're going to stay pretending that you're just a little, poor little me. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power. The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. Everybody is I. You all know you are you. And wheresoever beings exist throughout all galaxies, it doesn't make any difference. You are all of them. And when they come into being, that's you coming into being. Hi Dan, here's Sebastian from Germany. I just wanted to tell you that I've recently listened to your latest YouTube video, um, What Happens When You Die, and I was so inspired by that. I loved the conversation um, that you had with your guests. It was really amazing to listen and to watch and yeah just wanted to thank you for that um honestly i haven't been into these topics um before the beginning of this year but um yeah last year my beloved mother died because of cancer and after her death a lot of strange things happened to me um so it's For me, it's really inspiring and really um, amazing to listen to people talking about stuff like that. And yeah, I'm really grateful that I've found your podcast and your videos. So thank you for everything and keep going, Dan. <laughs> yo, 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 beautiful people. How's it going? And thank you so much to Sebastian there for that message there from Germany. Really cool. I loved how you liked last week's episode. I thought it was a powerful one too. I'm just glad that you could find some sort of resonance in it. Really means a lot. And if you guys also want to send some of them messages in, I'm going to start playing a few more of them at the beginning of the podcast from now on. If you want to send them in, all you need to do is just send them to, to my email and you can find that anyway. You can even send them to my Instagram page or wherever you can find necessary. I'm sure you will find a way if you want to send them. There's many different ways anyway. And I really do feel that their messages at the beginning of a podcast are just a cool way to show the community and show you guys out there that you are not alone. There is other people out there who are also seeking and asking many different questions about the human experience. So anyway, um, in the in the UK currently at the moment, we are just coming into spring. It's really interesting because this morning when I woke up, I looked outside of the window and I looked at the uh, the beautiful bright blue sky and I could definitely feel the sort of the subtle shifts in the weather and also at the same time it's really interesting recognizing my own sort of thoughts and state of being um, around the weather it's really interesting because I noticed in the UK over the last couple of months we've been in the winter season and it's sort of been very cold and sort of it's rained a lot and it's um, been very the sky's been very grey and stuff and dull But then all of a sudden today, as I woke up, I looked out the window and the sun was beaming. And you really do feel the different states and the transitions with inside of your own self and how the weather can affect uh, your states of being. But I really do love the sun. I've always loved the, the sun. There's something so special about um, the brightness and when you're immersed with the warmth on your skin. I really do love it. 
and I do like the warm. <laughs> well, I do like the warm, even though I'm based in the north of England. I, I am somebody who really likes the warm. But it's very. It was very symbolic this morning when I woke up and looked outside. This could just be um, a coincidence, but I do feel that the the sort of the this the transition into spring this morning. I could definitely feel it. That the symbology of that was very interesting because. Over the last, like over yesterday, I definitely feel that a big transition happened in my life. Um, something on a personal level that I've that I've been going through, and something that I feel has now sort of cleared on on a personal level. So it's not to go too far into it anyway. It's something that I may talk about in a later episode of Observe My Thoughts. But it's just very symbolic how something is cleared in my own life and something is changed. A transition is 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 just um sort of t- turned a new page, and. In a symbolic way, we came into spring this morning, which is very beautiful at the same time. But there really is, guys, there is some very deep transitions going on in my life from many different levels. I, I am, there's so many there's so many um, different things that I'm going through. As you know, guys, I do episodes of Observe My Thoughts where I really do let you into my mind. I've done many podcasts now where you sort of get to know me on a very personal basis. But at times... This podcast is moving so fast. Life is moving so fast. I'm constantly becoming a new person every single day. I know you guys are on a biological level. As you know, our bodies are constantly changing and evolving. Our cells are being regenerated every single day. But not only that, on on a psychological level, we are constantly learning new information all the time. And I wasn't the person that I was a week ago. I'm certainly not even the person I was an hour ago. We're constantly transitioning into something else all the time. And at times it's hard to sort of keep up with with all these different changes. I mean, um, as you guys know, sometimes I have to backdate these podcasts to keep the podcasts coming out for you. So that every single week there's an episode for you to help you along your journey. And at times... Like I went to London a couple of weeks ago and I, I backed it quite a lot. And even since then, that was only three weeks ago, I feel like I've become a completely vast different different person. And the, the growth, I think, and I think you'll feel, it, feel this within yourself, the growth within us all is really special. It's amazing when you think back how fast and how fast fast our sort of our our sort of in higher selves how ourselves are sort of are changing and evolving to sort of um a much higher state of being it's absolutely wild at times and it really it's really interesting how how much how much is going on and i just want to let you guys know that there is obviously you're not alone out there there is I'm still on a personal level. I'm going through so many different transitions and changing all the times. You may listen to these podcasts and think sometimes think, oh, he's got it all figured out. But I think we're all here. We're, not, we're all here for a reason. We're all learning, and we're all going through different, all these different transitions all the time. Are constantly going on all around us, and it's very interesting because I feel like these different transi- transitions that are going on all around us at times can sort of feel like a canoe on a on a on an ocean sort of at times it might be hitting a few rocks or even a few rapids at times and then obviously we start to sort of leave the 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 known and the sort of the constructs that our sort of egos have built up and sort of everything that you thought you were that was solid um everything you thought was solid um you sort of knew where you were going knowing what you were doing and then all, all of a sudden that you, you sort of get swept out on your canoe 
out of the known and you're sort of unsure from that position how to navigate the canoe then your paddle breaks and you start falling out of your boat you start getting smashed by a few waves and on a few rocks from many different angles and that certainly feels like all these different things that i'm going through at the moment in my life it sort of feels like that like the canoe at times getting smashed by many different rocks but at times it really, you know, guys, it really is sort of, it's not easy to sort of let go of the ideas of who we are, who we think we are, and who we think we're supposed to be, um, sort of what the world's supposed to look like. And, our, and with the sort of the ideas and the patterns that we've picked up along our journey, at times it can feel like sort of a ship that is in, in, in a sort of storm, and you cannot steer it, you're struggling to steer the ship, but it does get to a point within that storm where you have to just trust and have faith where the sort of the storm is taking you, and I do feel that if you do trust in the process of all this sort of the, um, from a from a, um, a metaphysical level, all these different, sorry, from a psychological level, all these different storms that we are going through within ourselves i think eventually if we do trust the process we'll find that our ship the storm may take our ship to a beautiful paradise but then as you know the ego comes back in and it's like fuck you i'm steering bitch i'm steering this but anyway i do feel that we are all heading for that paradise but it if but at times we do have to sort of hit a few rocks along the way and maybe even fall out our fall out of our canoe. But eventually we will find the shore. That's all I'm saying anyway. So keep the faith, guys, keep going. And I will talk about some of them different transitions and go a little bit deeper into them in some up and coming episodes of Observing My Thoughts that are definitely well overdue but anyway that's enough of that in this podcast today this was a really cool conversation this guest was actually recommended to me by anthony peak so it comes with great recommendation and it really was a powerful one sarah jane is an independent researcher with a particular interest in learning the languages language of the egyptian hieroglyphs which to me is mind-blowing but she is also interested in the Egyptian ideas of spirituality, the nature of reality, and dream states. And I'm not going to say any more about this podcast because this one really was a cool one. And at times, I was sitting back in my chair at this one and just going, wow, <laughs> really some mind-blown stuff. And I'm sure you will feel the same too. If you can, guys, find it in your heart, support the podcast through the Patreon page or the one-off donation option really is a great way to help me to keep doing what I'm doing it keeps the light on in this podcast lights on in this podcast and at times it obviously helps me put a bit of petrol in the tank when I'm traveling around around to do all these in-person conversations so anyway if you can check out them different forms of support on the podcast it really would mean a lot like I've mentioned in other podcast intros there is now a private group called the mind body and spirit academy really cool amount of people in there i think there's just over about 60 people in there now and if you become a patron you get access to that and and also on an independent level you can do you can join that page through the send podcast website both ways when you join the group both ways go a long way to supporting the podcast 
and, and in and in and in, in return as well you get access to really cool community of amazing souls in that group anyway so anyway i love you all and i know you're going to love this conversation with sarah jane it is a powerful one peace out best place to we'll dive in now but I was just trying to think the best place to start because when I first came across your work that you were doing and the topics that you were interested in uh seeing that you'd um been sort of trying to understand the language of hieroglyphs mm. I mean straight away when I seen that I was like whoa that is really fascinating what made you what made you sort of look into the hieroglyphs and try to learn the language of them I've been really interested in ancient culture since mm. I was little and the hieroglyphs in particular I've always just thought they're really beautiful yeah. but uh, when you go to places like the British Museum they're impenetrable if you don't learn the gist of them and I did go to Cairo in my 20s with my family and um, they do that a thing sometimes for tourists there where you get your name put in a cartouche oh, yeah, and I've, I've been familiar with that kind of phonetic uh, alphabet but I've always thought that that seems a little bit kind of gimmicky like there's obviously a lot more to it than that so I've throughout my life like always got books about hieroglyphs I've kind of liked it but it's always seemed quite an, a difficult language to grasp and then accidentally I just found this really great almost like comic book um, that described the hieroglyphic system and how it worked and um, I did actually go on a, uh, a tour of the British Museum with this guy called Lee Gerard Barlow, who is a mesmerist and alchemist. And he works with the kind of magical ideas, the spiritual ideas of ancient Egypt in mm -hmm. his work a lot. And he gives these off-piste tours of the British Museum, basically, where he gives you a tour of the Egyptian gallery mm -hmm. and shows you the kind of magical elements of the ritual objects, because obviously most of the artifacts that we know are related to funereal rites, tombs, because those are the things that lasted, mm -hmm. the things that were carved in stone. So that really opened my eyes to the sort of symbolic, magical aspects of the hieroglyphs. Like I could see that they were a kind of powerful tool to invoke ideas in the material dimension. One of the things that he shows you on the tour is, um, an offering table and I really liked this idea so basically on an offering table you'd have uh, representations of the objects that you want the deceased to have in the afterlife and then you'd pour either oil or water or some kind of consecrated fluid over the impression of this uh, ritual offering and then that offering you see it would drip through a little uh, groove in the bottom of the offering table and then that would drip onto either the mummy or to some aspect of the deceased person it was like the oil was then infused with the magical power of the engraved ritual offerings and I, I really liked this idea it's kind of law of attraction -y really like mm. this whole idea of if you write something down you're manifesting it somewhere mm. in reality it's like the seed of it beginning to become real it's interesting how these tr these breadcrumbs, I like to call them, that these ancient civilizations left behind, how when you do really start looking into them, the deeper means behind them, it seems to be that they were they were trying to sort of guide and, and teach teach a, a civilization that they knew was going to come yeah. further on uh, further on down the line. So um, 
so were you saying one of the big areas as well was um with the hieroglyphs as well was to sort of uncover um aspects of spirituality and the sort of the deeper aspects of nature of reality basically well you see so i watched like i'm a big fan of all those like really terrible documentaries that you see on netflix like mm-hmm. ancient aliens and stuff and they're ridiculous yeah. and funny yeah. but i just wanted to be able to go to museums or go to egypt and read inscriptions for myself because then i'm not relying on any middleman yeah, to give me their interpretation and also with the interpretation often of what they're saying there's a, a magical or a spiritual dimension that a lot of academics might not explore because they don't think about things in those terms and so some of the translations they have an esoteric or a hidden meaning in them often um but it's the classic thing isn't it of like being hidden in plain sight basically mm. if you could walk into the british museum now and read hieroglyphs like you could any language you, it would be this extra experience of exactly what they're meant to be there's no kind of it's it's like going to a foreign country and hearing a babble and then suddenly being able to hear a conversation and then you know learning that language and then suddenly being able to dream in that language you know it's it opens up an extra dimension of experience in life if you can read things for yourself and understand things for yourself it's interesting you said opens up a, um, a different dimension in your mind because i think it was i was researching uh robert bavel i don't know if you're familiar with his work no, I don't. But he's one of the earlier sort of the the earlier pioneers of looking into the ancient ancient egypt mm. and sort of trying to figure out what was really going on there and he he speaks about how when you do start once you without you realizing it or with realizing it as well once you actually embark and look at the the Egyptian pyramids and you sort of walk through them and look at them and marvel on them before you even notice it you, your mind's already actually engaged in a different mm. dimension because you're already processing things of just looking at the structures of the stones and and then once you get even deeper and deeper you start realizing that how them how the fundamental properties of the the structures of the stones how they were built mathematically or in relation to certain different star systems and things then you are really engaged and your dimensions in your mind are a sort of opening up do you do you find that with um even when you're looking at the hieroglyphs do you find that this is like some sort of um maybe the purpose of the hieroglyphs as well it could be um to pull you in to pull you to... it's an absolutely very different kind of language yeah. and there's a purity to it and um, one of the things that i learned from this comic book is it's really simple but there's a quite simple structure structure to hieroglyphs so basically you have like a phonetic element to them where mm. a hieroglyphic symbol means a sound then you have what's called a phonetic complement, where a uh, where a phonetic um, hieroglyph could be interpreted more than one way. Mm. The complement shows you which way it needs to be interpreted, and then the determinative is a often exact representation of the thing that the word refers to. So it's a really quite simple um, language in some respects, but I do think there's something about it being represented by a visual clues so to speak where it adds these different layers to the understanding of the language it's a more integrated language because you're using visual processing Mm. conceptual most philosophical um uh, faculties as well in a way because for example the word for wise is zia so you can look at that you can think that kind of relates to our word seer maybe and the the hieroglyphic symbol for seer is a a fragment of a rug like a kind of piece of fabric and you can look at that and you can Mm. say that is kind of like wise is 
a part of the fabric of the universe or the fabric of reality. So when there's a visual representation or there's a, a motif or something to intellectually kind of relate to, it makes it a quite easy language to learn in some respects because you have to come up with these concepts to understand the meaning of the words. So for the word wise being represented by this piece of fabric, can you start to think about concepts like being wise is being a part of the fabric, you know, recognizing your part in the fabric of the universe, these sorts of things. And the, there's another word for the word for foretell, uh, the phonetic or the determinative at the end of the word foretell mm -hmm. is a giraffe. And a giraffe has got a very tall neck and can see into the distance so it can predict what's going to happen in the future. So things like that, it gets you thinking on all kinds of levels, gets you thinking visually in a sort of story mythological sense, in an archetypal sense. And so it's a really integrated language in that way where like a word or a name has these uh, symbolic aspects to it like for example like Ramesses has uh, you know it's is born of the yeah, sun yeah. and so you have the Ra aspect of the sun and Mess is uh, represented by three foxtails tied together and means to be born so within the name there's like all the kind of symbolic yeah, meaning which is more than we have with our kind of abstract language at the moment which is learning letters and symbols it's harder to latch other concepts and ideas onto that yeah, I love that, mate. I mean, you must be uncovering some really interesting stuff. And one of, the, one of them in particular I wanted to dive into, I know that you've done a bit of research on this, is the dream incubations. Could you mm. sort of speak about that and what, what that is? Well, dream incubation seems to be like an ancient practice that goes back to pretty much the beginning of time. And there's even ideas or research um, suggesting that it was something that ancient people did even with the very earliest cults of the mother, you know, the sort of early, what we call Venus figurines. Mm -hmm. Um, my ideas about these really early ones are to be honest like quite intuitive like I feel that those Venus figurines those very voluptuous female forms that very ancient civilizations created um, such as like the, the Venus of Willendorf and like other ones like that were a kind of uh, an avatar to represent this fertile female figure that they thought mm. they lived on that they were the children of the mother earth so these very early religions were like mother earth mm. goddess yep. religions um and in a way i do think in, in a similar way to hieroglyphs when you create a kind of artistic representation of something you've manifested it into the physical dimension and then not only that you've created a character that can inhabit your dreams then as well so you created a character that you can give life to in their dreams you can then see that character moving mm. around and interacting and the more characters that you create the more more things you can have to process in your dreams and so the very ancient practice of the dream incubation would have involved finding a sacred place which for very ancient people would have been things especially like caves or the mouth of springs mm. um sacred sites of power so I, th I also think ancient people were more sensitive to geomagnetic anomalies to um uh, geomagnetic storms and things like that and the sort of power, those the power of stones of emanating geomagnetic properties, like those uh, stones that had been struck by lightning, for example, mm -hmm. were recognised as being important objects. So within these sacred places, they would lie down, and the idea was that in the directly lying on the Mother Earth, you could receive um, the wisdom from the Mother Earth in your dreams, in the dream state. Was 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 within that within that being said? Was there any I mean, I don't know, obviously from a, like a geological perspective, but there is there any different properties within um, 
in the structures in the structures of the dream incubations like in terms of this because in terms of I know obviously there's a lot been a lot of research done on ley lines and things like that. Mm. Is there any like ge- geological st- different properties that compare compare on that site to just maybe somewhere else on the planet? I think that I mean geomagnetic anomalies are often associated with ritual or sacred sites, mm-hmm. and um, I mean one interesting thing is how much the geomagnetic force field around the Earth has diminished in the last forty thousand years when these things started to happen. Yep. So although the uh, the magnetosphere, the kind of that layer around the Earth that uh, repels the cosmic rays, uh, has become dramatically weaker. The Earth's geomagnetic force field fluctuates, but we've been on this very steady period of slow decline mm-hmm. recently, and we're at the lowest point of it at the moment now. Um, so I think people, I mean, there's there's a suggestion. We have the potential for magnetoreception in our bodies. We have what's called uh, what are called cryptochromes in our eyeballs, mm-hmm. which are very ancient flavoproteins associated with magnetoreception. And I think it's plausible that when the Earth's magnetic force field was that much stronger 40,000 years ago, we may have actually seen or more tangibly felt magnetic forces. Um, so there are sites that are associated with those strong kind of power energies, places like Stonehenge or, you know, most of the ritual sites, especially relating to standing stones, have that aspect to them. Um, but it's obviously hard to know about exactly what they did during those ritual incubations because it was so long ago. There's no written documentation about it. I mean, one of the best things you can do is go and sleep in them, I yeah. think. Have you done that as well? I've slept in some few places, yes. I uh, went to visit the Sleep Temple in Lydney Park in Gloucestershire, but I just cool. had a quick lie down there. Not enough for a proper snooze. But I was reading something recently, actually, and um, uh, it was about dream incubation in Egypt. So this dream incubation technique kind of carried on and it had a kind of continuity into the developing religions of places like Mesopotamia and Egypt, mm. where there was a there's always been this idea that if you go to the temple, a temple dedicated to a particular god, that that is the god's sacred precinct, and that's where you can have contact with the god. So if you go into that temple and sleep there, and mm. this has been a, a big part of these religious um, uh hierarchies throughout the world if you go to this temple and sleep there that that's where you can have contact with the gods so this is where we get the later idea of sleep temples that were specifically for that purpose but there's always been this idea in the really early religions that you slept in the sacred precinct of the god and that's where you could have contact with them in your dreams so many stuff by the way honestly this honestly this podcast is going to go all over the place it's just <laughs> so, so knowledgeable it's unbelievable um a question i want to ask you though that, something that came to my mind there was with the dream incubations i know you said that you, you're unsure what practices and techniques were going on there but could you speculate on any of the techniques that were that maybe they were doing they were trying do you know what i think ancient people were actually just that much different Uh, state of mind i i completely think they had a totally different consciousness to Mm. what we call consciousness now and that the division kind of happened when we started to use language and um express ourselves using abstract sounds everything kind of changed and um you know the brain is we know about neuroplasticity and the brain develops according to the habits and activities of the people using Mm -hmm. it so across the world even now you've got people like the sea gypsies of burma who have different kind of neurological 
processes going on because they have a very different lifestyle. They live on the sea. They all knew when the tsunami was going to hit because yeah. they're much more sensitive and conscious of the tiny little shifts in nature and the behavior of the animals around them. Their eyeballs are different so they can see underwater. You know, and nowadays we live in quite a kind of homogenous culture. So we're all pretty much doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. But depending upon the particular objectives of any given culture will develop the faculties because we're very our minds are very malleable in that way to um do them to the best of our ability i think mm-hmm. what do you think is the uh, what do you think's caused that if you if you obviously if you because it seems to be i'm, I'm conversant with you that in the past it seems to be that ancient people operate from a place of non-locality mm. and i think that we now as a civilization we don't operate from that place as much um, some people argue not at all. Um, but do, do you, what do you think that is? Do you think that's due to the Monday world that we live in? Is it? I think we just deeper? developed an ego. Mm-hmm. I think human beings didn't used to have ego. Yeah. I don't think they used to have a sense of I individual. They saw themselves as a collective, and were much more uh, social creatures in that respect. I mean, us living in flats on our own is quite unnatural. Us um, going to work paying bills it's a it's like if badgers started to do that now we're gonna be like god that's so weird but (laughs) i mean (laughs) we are you know we are animals and we know from observing animal behavior that animals are highly intelligent instinctual and they receive inner guidance from a kind of uh well their internal rhythms like Mm. their circadian rhythms but also they are synced up to the rhythms of the planet and the rhythms and cycles of things like tides so you know we know that crocodiles know when to go to a certain place to feed we know that turtles know how to get you know they can navigate Mm -hmm. so i think that creating this language as how you know it's obviously advanced our human culture in one direction but it's also taken us away from the collective and actually you know sometimes I, i sit in the bath and have no lights on you don't have to do very much to go back to darkness and Mm. the imagination but everything in our modern culture is about distraction and stimulation and uh, I think one of the easiest ways to access that kind of more ancient consciousness that perhaps Mm. has more ability to imagine is just uh, sensory deprivation basically but it's not very exciting everyone wants to take drugs and shit instead yeah definitely actually sensory deprivation is a pretty quick way to to start having weird experiences yeah 100 percent. i mean you said so many interesting stuff there again um but on the in terms of when you were speaking about how um, animals can pick up on different things i mean even even we know now that science science is now coming to the 40 and saying that, that that the visual our visual experiences there's a lot more than than meets the eye to what's going on like we know that animals can see certain things pick up on different things and there's in like i said you take even if you take um take all your consciousness in any way whether it's sitting in the darkness taking psychedelics it's clear to see that your your visual percep- perception is completely changed so i mean I, who knows what who knows what's what's going on what we what we can't sort of fathom or can't just uh, sort of see with our with the, with the mundane mind that's been developed mm, now i think we've kind of created an, a prison really for ourselves mm. unintentionally whereby this kind of framework of consciousness Mm -hmm. and consciousness is a like what does it that even mean it's not really a thing i think that when we talk about consciousness perhaps we should be talking more about memory Mm -hmm. because memory is and the and the way human beings respond to memory um is quite unique in the animal kingdom i think and memory gives the sort of 
memories that we have give forth to imagination and imagination is a quite unusual thing in, within the animal kingdom as well and has enabled us to kind of develop the kind of culture that we have developed but I also really believe that other than the very earliest forms of writing that were used for things like accounting and taking stock that we know from like Mesopotamia and Egypt that actually one of the first things that people felt the need to document would have been their dreams and that stories all come from these dreams and these imaginings and uh, that dreaming has been the relationship between dreaming and writing and recording has been massively important in terms of creating human culture and human memory facilities and consciousness if you want to call mm-hmm. whatever it is that you, you were saying before about just to reiterate again so that you were talking about the sense of sen- of creating an environment that was um sent of sensory deprivation with obviously no light no sound would you say that the 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 sort of the the dream incubators were actually sort of a, um were a sensory deprivation a form of sensory deprivation i think that uh, there was a lot more sensory deprivation in early civilizations yeah. because as soon as the sun went down there'd be no light you would sit and stare at the stars and you know like i to sensory to do sensory deprivation on myself i just sit in the bath and don't mm-hmm. have any lights on like don't have any lights on so it's properly pitch black and you start to see things and i think that this is one of the reasons why uh, our dream abilities are diminishing somewhat is because we don't spend enough time just looking into the dark we're constantly bombarded by images on flat screens mm-hmm. and there's something about the way you use your eyes when you look at a flat screen that's different to the way you use your eyes when you look into the abyss of nothingness that you see in darkness mm-hmm. we actually don't do it very often if you think about it people mm-hmm. i know people don't even have curtains up at their windows because yeah, they no, don't no. want to be in darkness ever i felt in my own life yeah. you know like in the habitual habits of mm. sort of you know what it's like modern day world it's mm. sometimes just pulls you in doesn't it yeah absolutely i do it as well definitely and um but i do think there's something about a way of looking at things that people are starting to lose that ability and that perhaps even that visual capability will atrophy if we're not careful because um you know i I noticed when i was a kid because i was really into lucid dreaming when i was a kid and the experience of hypnagogia i loved it Mm -hmm. and um that when i was going through the process of hypnagogia it always felt to me like i was traveling through a tunnel to get to the dream world and I really enjoyed that process of traveling through that tunnel but it required a certain kind of like visual um style that you don't actually experience very often these days because of the flat screen technology that's around us all the time you know when we when I was a kid we didn't have mobile phones we didn't Mm -hmm. really watch tv very much I spent a lot of time just watching nothing or like looking into space looking you know when I fell asleep at night I would just stare at my ceiling and you find your eyes play interesting tricks on you and you start to see things and it's um it's a really normal natural part of the human experience but it's being obliterated by the overstimulation that we get from devices there's also like an interesting period in between sort of um sleep and deep sleep where i think when you just because a lot of people have habits where they just and i've been guilty of this myself and i'm trying to make it a pattern not to do it anymore but when you have a mobile phone in your hand and i've noticed this one for me own self doing my own practice of meditation wherever it is as well if i stare at my screen and then instantly just straight away without um creating an environment where i wind my body down correctly sort of get rid of all out external stimuli there's something that happens where it um where you it's 
you're missing something in the middle. There's like there's an important thing in the middle. I know when it comes to um, lucid dreaming and stuff, people talk about this vibrational state that can be achieved in, in the in-between period before mm. you go into the deep state. But there is something that's missing. And I actually wanted to say before, because when you're talking about the, the dream incubations and talking about the sense of sensory deprivation, that's where I asked you that question just to reiterate again, because it seems to be that... Um, that that the pineal gland within our, inside of ourselves has some i'm not sure what it is i'm not a scientist but it has some sort of significance or importance in this reality and um obviously the pineal glands linked to melatonin which obviously releases when we go to sleep and stuff so there's definitely some um something that the monday world is hindering our ability to maybe access them deeper them deeper realms have you ever thought about the relationship between the sort of the pineal gland um in terms of sort of having this um, different state of mind? Well, I think the pineal gland is a kind of um, ancestral third eye of sorts. So as we've evolved as a species, the third eye has become Mm. this pineal gland in the middle of our brain. And um, obviously this is all tied into melatonin production and circadian rhythms. It responds to our circadian rhythms. And it's the element really that ties us in and syncs us with the rest of the world and the cosmos in a lot of ways so i think that that is often what feels like the entry point into those other dimensions because it is this link between us and the patterns and rhythms of the rest of the universe you know that Mm -hmm. we are obviously a part of Mm -hmm. Um, and a massive part of the everyday world that we live in is having unnatural time keeping habits you know going to bed really late because we have artificial lights we can stay up really late uh not connecting with the earth like literally not grounding and feeling the electrons of the earth's surface enter our body you know i mean i think feng shui is a really beautiful like ancient art of recognizing the natural energies around us and the flow of energy around us what's what's that again so feng shui you know like the chinese art of really kind of organizing your house and creating optimum energy flow throughout your house optimum chi like things like that uh people are much more sensitive to uh i suppose what you might call like unharmonious environments than they might think Mm -hmm. so I mean, I go around people's houses quite often and I'm like, oh, it feels really, something really weird about this. And, yeah, definitely. And if you're sensitive to it, you can pick up what it is. There might be like a high-pitched electric noise. There might be no windows. There might be no airflow coming in or there might be, you know, objects of furniture often create angles that kind of jar your line mm. of vision. So we've really got out of the habit of thinking about what, are harmonious ways of living and ancient people thought all the time about creating harmony and beauty for the purposes of healing and good feeling and connecting to the divine and we i think we actually need to return to a kind of spiritual appreciation of our existence Mm, i think people are against generally against an idea of a religion and that kind of hierarchy Mm. and i think that makes a lot of sense but religions have been useful for humanity to some extent in terms of they offer a kind of system and a structure that represents a you know a spiritual path or a spiritual way but nothing no amount of dogma no amount of instruction no amount of like fancy buildings Mm -hmm. can can be anything in comparison with like a direct experience of the divine with meditation so those religions that incorporate 
a meditative practice, they're always going to have a lot of power because they give people the opportunity to have that first-hand experience. But I think we need to to go back to like earth goddess worship or like earth energy power worship because actually it it would work. Mm -hmm. Like if we honoured and worshipped the earth, we would save ourselves and we would save the planet and it would be religious and spiritual but it could be real and scientific as well. Yeah, definitely. You said something before about very interesting when you with that word that I didn't. I can't say that word. What the word you said again? The feng feng shui. Feng shui. Feng shui. Yeah, yeah. I'm a terrible word sometimes. But when you said about creating the sort of the space within inside your own house to create more sort of an, an, an energetic environment, I've even noticed that within my own body as well. I mean, because obviously your your house is also your body as well. Mm-hmm. And um, when I've been doing when I do sort of prolonged periods of yoga. Because it's clear to say that the body builds up moments of tension within the body and things and the modern day life is doing that. And it's clear to say that the, the, the body is a vessel, is an important vessel for uh, creating um, that connection to the to divine as well. Have you, because I know the ancient Egyptians believed that as well. When you've been looking at the hieroglyphs, have you found anything about um, the importance of um, sort of tapping into them, them deeper energetic states of the body? Have you uncovered anything about that? Um, not really, no, because most of the... St- I mean, I'm just learning the structures mm-hmm. at the moment and the way the language works. And then I can recognise a lot of the hieroglyphic symbols, but there's over a thousand of them. Mm-hmm. But obviously, most of the stuff we see is like funerary text. So it only really refers to quite a kind of narrow portion of mm-hmm. Egyptian life experience. But I think there's certainly an idea within Egyptian spirituality of having a soul and having an energy body they had this idea of the bar and the car and the ak and that was these kind of different aspects the kind of astral body the personality Mm. the energy body and the physical body so they certainly had this idea and i think that that is something to go back to this idea definitely of an energy body and a, a a kind of soul i suppose should still have a place in our way of thinking about the world and ourselves and i think like you were saying about the body it's very true like when you do yoga if you you can think of yoga as an energy practice Mm -hmm. rather than exercising it is an energy practice it's like you create the more you do yoga the more flow you create in your body and the more um energy you create Mm -hmm. for yourself but then also your environment is an extension Mm. of your body so even tidying up your flat will make you feel healthier (laughs) because actually in the process of tidying up a space you're tidying up and that's an act of self-care in itself and of uh you know creating order and chaos when i did like a vipassana retreat i remember one of the things was like you'll know this has worked because your life will get better and Mm. you'll have a you will have a desire to create order where there's chaos and you find yourself like wanting to tidy things up a lot more Definitely. In before, I wanted to. I definitely have wrote a note down here because I wanted to touch on the the sleep temples of ancient Egypt as well. Mm-hmm. Cause I know, uh, ancient Greece, sorry. Yeah. Because I know you've been looking at that. But before I forget and go there, is there anything? In, I know, obviously, like you said, the start of this podcast, one of the big reasons why you've been looking at the hieroglyphs is to sort of get that bigger sense of spirituality in um, what the ancient Egyptians were really sort of getting at. Is there anything in regards to spirituality or nature reality that when you've been looking into the hieroglyphs, that sort of that's maybe blew your mind i think that i mean all everything you've said blew your mind (laughs) i mean i think the ancient egyptians had a really complex spiritual system um i liked i really loved the concept they have of the different types of bodies and this idea of them 
kind of separating and returning together again it does get really complicated with the pantheon of gods that they have and these mm. various processes they they put everybody through when they die for example but one thing that you find because obviously the egyptian civilization continued for so long it's like hard to contemplate just how long that civilization maintained at least well quite a a reasonable amount of uh, consistency you know mm. my friend's kid said a really interesting thing to me the other day he said it's that, funny how kids see them i know yeah he things. said to me did you know um that uh when cleopatra was ruling egypt she would have been it, she would be closer in time to the invention of the mobile phone than she was the rest of the egyptian civilization oh, it's so like that's how long the egyptian civilization carried on mm. for it was just ridiculously long amazing but basically there are kind of these esoteric truths the sort of kernels of truth are the thing that i'm most interested in because i think you can have uh representations gods representing these ideas mythological stories but really if you get everything down to the absolute essence of what these things mean it's pretty much the same almost across all religions you know there's this kind of enveloping all spirit from which individuals emerge and you kind of get that across the board with religions this something coming out of nothing in a way um and this timelessness uh that we have the potential to access even in our everyday reality we can access that sometimes i mean i find that in meditation and i kind of relate it to the breath within the between the in breath and the out breath Mm -hmm. there's this moment of nothingness and that's when you begin to recognize spirit in yourself yeah i mean i've had moments of that i mean i've spoken about this many times in the podcast them their moments are really profound and i think like i said i think that is that universal understanding what you're speaking about of all these different religions and cultures are speaking about it, it the, i think they really are hitting towards that i mean you can come at this from buddhism you can come in from whatever you come at coming from you can and you will eventually um sort of find your way to that universal understanding that everything is spirit um one of the things i really love within the hieroglyphs like the you know the what's called the book of the dead the egyptian book of the dead i've never read that i need to read that well it's it's basically kind of a collection of funereal texts it's not really like one thing Mm. it was uh basically depending on how wealthy you were you'd have either a lot of these texts or a sort of minimum amount of these texts Mm. put in with your body um and it actually means the book of coming forth by day but one of the things things that i really love about that is they talk about the heart being the center and the source of the spirit and so when people went through the mummification process your other organs were removed your heart was like treated and preserved but put back into your body because you were you were seen to need that and um they talk in the book of coming forth by day that the most important sense to develop is the sense of intuition and i think that's really really true like you could write a million academic papers mm. but when you feel something is true you're usually it's usually is <laughs> you know nothing can be firsthand real experience of something it, it's oh it's a great point by the way it's, it, it's funny because along my journey it seems to be that the more I don't know what the right words to use. I don't want to put a word on it, but it's, it's hard. you have to do sometimes. But the more, let's just say, the more advanced I've become within myself, the more that my my intuitive abilities have um, become heightened. And I, I'm, I'm, have you questioned? Is that maybe is that maybe one level of of what the ancients had was this intuitive ability to be able to see the world in a in a different light? It's easier to work stuff out if you've got less distractions mm. for starters. I think if you live 
close to the land, it's very, it's very much easier like to recognise the patterns within nature and to recognise the relationships with the elements within nature as well yeah. and to feel part of that. Um, I've spent times of my life like living in the countryside and I've, I've often made a kind of, uh, I suppose like I've recognised in my friends that were brought up around the countryside or had very close experiences with nature that they have generally a greater understanding of the relationships between not just nature, but it's the sort of microcosm, macrocosm of yeah, things. Definitely. There's a certain kind of uh, pattern recognition. Yeah, like a symbol, symbol, kind of symbiosis, like with, them, yeah, with themselves. Yeah, I think, with the, with I think so. Like when I was a kid, I lived in Croydon. Like it was a yeah. industrial estate, horrible place to live. But I did live next door to this field and this park, and I spent most of my time there. And I used to just look at stuff like really, really closely, and you see patterns in nature all mm. the time, and the and the idea of as above so below is just quite obvious yeah, and i remember drawing pictures of things like spiders webs and stuff like that a lot and recognizing that you know the way the spider web makes its web is a kind of uh, illustration of intelligence and of a kind of cosmic understanding and that a cosmic understanding can be overlaid on top of that spider's mm. web because you can kind of see that a spider's web extends out into lots of different directions. They construct this pattern upon it. Every, and I used to think about, you know, raindrops landing on a spider's web and that each raindrop seems like an individual, but it's connected on the spider's web. This one raindrop reflects all the other raindrops. You know, there's so many things you can philosophize about if you look closely at nature. And I think that there's also probably something to do with literally receiving the energy of the earth. If you spend a lot of time surrounded by nature, literally like living on mm. in dirt, which I did a lot when I was a kid, I had yeah. lots of uh, experience with nature and going to nice places and like being out all day in, in the woods and in the park. Mm. Um, you just get that exposure. And then I've met fr friends when I went to school who couldn't recognize a horse from a cow and stuff like that. Yeah. You know? So, and it does, it affects the way that you experience life quite considerably. 100%. I know you wrote about this as well, and you obviously were talking about this sort of universal understanding of, of um, what we said before, of all these religions that eventually come to is the universal understanding of spirit. I think you wrote this in one of your blogs talking about, you used the word Asclepius. Um, Asclepius. Asclepius, sorry, yeah. yeah. And I know, obviously, my understanding, I'll let you explain what the, what it is, but my understanding of that was that they used that as a term for sort of God. But I was going to ask you is, do you think the, the meaning behind that was actually what we were speaking about before that whole that greater sense of it's not just it's not a god or a sort of a, a or a certain uh, deity or anything like that it's actually the whole understanding of consciousness i think it's useful and what and, and it's kind of sh shown to be useful especially in the sleep hospitals actually is if you give an idea form you give a uh, a kind of ah. a target for your attention so it makes sense to create gods and deities in that respect to me because your attention can be very specific and focused mm, on that object. It's interesting. It's, it's very... It's um, clever, that. Yeah, and I think, I think that like that's really if clever. you look at uh, most of the gods, in especially the ancient Greek pantheon, they are physical representations of either powers mm. or natural forces of some sort. So the ones that are really important in the Asclepians is uh, the Asclepius himself, who is a bearded healer god, and he's represented by a staff with a snake wrapped mm. around it. 
And I think that in itself is very interesting because the snake is probably the most potent visual symbol of that relationship, even though it's got a bearded healer dude attached to it as well. Mm. I actually think the snake is the most potent symbol for healing. Um, and then the other god or goddess that was worshipped in Asclepians very often was um, the Greek goddess Mnemosyne, the goddess of memory and the personification of remembrance. And I think it helps to have uh, like a physical avatar in a way. Mm. It's like, you know, how does faith healing work? How, do, how does a placebo work? It works because it has an object that you imbue yeah, yeah. mentally with these powers and then actually you're able to change yourself from within by giving so much attention and so much power to this potentially quite abstract form what was the um sort of really powerful stuff again what was the um in regards to when you mentioned the the the, the, the metaphor of the snake and stuff how it's embedded in within the ancient mythology is there any is there any deeper understanding what that actually was? I mean, I have my own theories about it, but I would love to, to see what you think that is. The snake, I think, is in most of the places where it's kind of used in this way. I mean, the healing powers of the snake are quite obvious to anyone that observes snakes. They can regenerate themselves. Mm. Uh, if you cut off the tail of a snake, it can regrow. Uh, when it gets past a certain age or it gets damaged it can shed its skin and have new skin so this the symbol of the snake is really there to to sort of see um that it has these quite it has these healing powers for itself but then also it's a kind of underground creature it's a creature that comes out from underground and can rise up into trees and it crosses these different realms in this way it's this kind of conduit for earth energy i think and you know within the ideas of kundalini as well this kind of idea of energy being this flow through your body the snake represents that flow from the base of your spine into your crown chakra and up into the heavens you know so um i think that that's essentially this asclepian snake is that same symbol of earth energy um personified it's it's it really is it's really interesting i mean you've touched on on there what which I, which one is, is my theories of it i mean i have met there's many different theories tied into it but it's definitely clear to see that the for me anyway in my personal life is that the serpent does represent this cosmic energy that does come from the earth or whatever or from the ether whatever you want to call it is there any um i think it's the meeting of the yeah. cosmic and the earth energy yeah sorry that creates this harmony between the two and that you know especially within the ancient greeks the the god Asclepius is the son of the god Apollo, who's mm. the, also a god of healing, but also the healing of the god of music. Mm-hmm. This idea that harmony and music and sound healing basically play a part in harmonizing the human organism into health, and that really, if we are in harmony, and we kind of know a lot about yeah, the power of sound frequencies now in terms of medicine and health, and I think they're going to be the future of healing. We're going to be doing a lot more kind of. Um, frequency-based medical research. There's already been evidence to show that uh, frequencies can be used to destroy tumours and Mm -hmm, things like mm this. Um, We live in a very chaotic and noisy, unnatural, techno-fuzzed-up atmosphere, and people are becoming sick as a result of that. And nature is one of those things that can help harmonise you. So just being around nature, lying on the earth, being surrounded by healthy plants and fresh air is mm. actually very healing just in itself. But um, 
I think the earth have has obviously its natural frequency and that we should be in harmony with ourselves and with the earth in order to be healthy and it makes sense we have a kind of biological blueprint when we're born and we experience disease because we become imbalanced in some way Mm. most often so it's all about bringing the body into balance which we have the natural process of homeostasis which we go through when we sleep at night is our natural balancing system but with sleep being disturbed and sleep is like massively neglected in Mm. terms of health these days um if we neglect our sleep we'll become ill as you know not just physically but mentally as well mm-hmm. it's like through, through through things that i've experienced in my life with the kundalini and stuff it feels like that 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 kundalini force is the restore the restoration of that balance and the harmony within the body because like, what that does is i mean people know who listen to this podcast i've spoke about the kundalini weight and i went through but that that does rest- restore this deeper balance it goes through all the different aspects in you from a psychological perspective that you're out of balance and it comes through your body and it it um it shows you where you need to become mm-hmm. become more more harmonized basically mm. um you said something interesting before about the the, the 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 effects of sound and stuff on the on the human vessel and, and obviously in consciousness as well it's interesting because uh I, I came across some research by um i think Andrew Collins, who was researching in Ugobekli Tepe, which is an ancient mm-hmm. megalithic structure in Turkey, mm-hmm. in Turkey, and he said that what he had uncovered is that um, the the on a um, on an architectural level, the way that the um, the the structure at Ugobekli Tepe is designed is designed in a way to um, to harmonize uh, to to sorry to magnify holistic sound. Mm. And it was who was it again? It was I'm sure Graham Hancock spoke about how he did a test in in one of the great pyramids of egypt one of the pyramids in egypt i think the great pyramid where there's a um i'm not sure if you're familiar with this but there was like a what you explained at the beginning of the podcast like a sensory deprivation which supposedly obviously people say that they are they are tombs but he said he did this test where he sat in it and he said um i'm not sure what he can't remember exactly what he did now but he he said that he did this test where he could basically um, measure the the harmony of the way that the sound was vibrating i think i've seen that i think that's in the pyramid the code yeah yeah, so there's there's definitely something to to like um to this reality being can be man- manipulated by sort of a, a different vibrational frequency or sound. Yeah, do you or know um, like Dan Winters? I don't know. He's really uh, kind of out there. I think he was like a quantum physicist or something, mm. but he's got really into this idea of using frequencies for healing, and he's invented a machine called the Therify, and that basically kind of harmonizes a sphere of influence Mm -hmm. that if you're sitting within it your body gradually tunes up to and i think that um he talks it's very sort of like weird deep complicated stuff but there's something like we were saying earlier about feeling things as being intuitively right that you Mm. just feel this feels intuitively right you don't know don't know why and all you can do is experience things you know it's it's interesting because um I was I've said this on the podcast before but it's definitely good to say it again um it's, it's called a Pythagorean kind of say you know the famous philosopher called Pythagoras I mm-hmm. think it's called he there's a there's a system that he created because you know he was interested in like the quantum world and sort mm. of um blending sound with the human body and things mm. and the, he created this device called a Pythagoras tone generator I don't mm. know if you ever heard of that mm, before no. But um, that's one of them where you, I mean, anyone could type it on YouTube. I've said it before. But if you type it on YouTube and just listen to it, I think it's about 10 minutes long. You just feel it. It's just, mm. it's undeniable, I think. And well, that's the great thing about sound healing. Mm. Why I think it has so much potential for the future is you can feel it. And yeah, it's yeah. quite um, tangible results that you get. 
and uh i think that's where sound you know spirituality and science mm. may merge through this idea of frequencies because frequencies can be sort of scientifically verified yeah, and yeah, actually yeah. perhaps we will be able to validate some sort of spiritual and religious claims by this understanding of the power of frequencies to affect human beings yeah definitely i wanted to touch on the um this the sleep temples as well mm -hmm. could you speak a bit about that and what what they are so the sleep temples of ancient greece yeah. they were called asclepians because they were dedicated to the god asclepius mm. and they were basically the hospital the kind of most popular hospital of the ancient greek world and the cult of asclepius was one of the biggest cults in the ancient greek world so there were thousands of sleep temples everywhere so the basic idea was that they were a kind of rest and relaxation sacred sanctuary and a big part of their construction was based upon finding a sacred healing healthy natural environment so often they're in very beautiful locations where there are woods and mountains and streams the cold water therapy seems to be important in it actually so Asclepius may have been like a precursor to Wim Hof in some ways so you would have these cold water dips uh, and there were usually springs there as well and one of my personal interests is natural springs I think Very natural springs have uh, magic powers and the water that you drink from natural sources is imprinted with the memory and the consciousness of the earth in a way that tap water is just totally dead it's like well natural springs have been developed a thousand yeah, years of boiling, yeah, yeah, boiling yeah. beneath the earth's surface but even that journey to reach the surface as well that journey is imprinted and they contain living essences that we never get in our tap water because it's kind of irradiated and killed my dad used to work for thames water when i was a kid yeah. and he always used to do this like you can you can't tell the difference between spring water and tap water and then he'd give yeah. me like a pint of both yeah. and i'd be like this is rank well, even on a scientific, like on, sorry on a scientific level you can measure it as well using ph yeah. strips and yeah, stuff like yeah, that yeah yeah so i've been into natural springs since i was a kid like i've always sought them out i've gone literally on holiday to find natural springs yeah. like i love natural springs and natural springs are always associated with sleep temples i mean they make sense in terms of like if you're building somewhere where people are going to stay you need a water source but these springs often had certain kind of mineral qualities that were important and some of them are uh, calibiate springs so they're very iron rich and that may have aspects in terms of uh the relationship with the geomagnetic hotspots as well because that would relate to something like that but um so there were these uh, uh hospitals essentially and when you went there you would have to go through some process of processes of purification and sacrifice there was obviously a lot of ritual involved as there was in most temples in the ancient world and you could spend a lot of time there one of the things that's interesting is they had like testimonies like little plaques and votive offerings all around the sleep hospitals showing and telling the patients the new inmates um about the sort of powerful healing experiences that past patients had had and i think that in itself has a sort of powerful subliminal programming dimension to it as well mm. so when the time was deemed correct uh, you would be taken to this dream chamber called the abaton which was the kind of special sacred enclosure of the god asclepius and that is where he could make his appearance and within the sleep temples you'd have um you'd have snakes which were seen as the theriomorphic form of the god asclepius and snakes are like a very potent symbol to human beings and i think that 
you know, I know that if I went to sleep in a bedroom full of snakes, probably have a snake in my dream. It's like, it's yeah. a very kind of primal, um, easy image to rustle up in your mind's eye, I think, a snake. So anyway, snakes would be all over the temple and you'd finally go to this dream chamber. You'd do a, an invocation sometimes to the goddess Nemosinade so that you could remember what you were about to experience in your divine dream. And then you would be put onto a stone bed and on top of the stone bed, there was the skin of a sacrificed black ram often. And this kind of relates to even older techniques of dream incubation that you slept on the skin of a sacrificed animal. And um, then you'd be kind of like, you'd go through a sleep hypnosis, a kind of guided hypnagogic session, I think. So uh, I can really see how this would be really potent and work for people because um, like hypnosis i don't know if you've ever done sleep hypnosis oh, it no. kind of starts to seed your hypnagogic experience and what i've discovered through doing the wake induced lucid dream technique of kind of staying conscious through hypnagogia to end up fully conscious in mm. a lucid dream you what you recognize when you do that is that uh, any little thought idea flash becomes material in the dream state when you're properly there so i think that if these patients were guided through their hypnagogic experience where they were told they were going to see asclepius where they're invited to imagine asclepius healing them that that is going to be the dream state that they end up in and what's also important to remember is they weren't just going to sleep they were on a couch like in a psychiatrist's office they mm. were like being um hypnotized really but into a dream state and then i think what happens if you lucid dream something especially your body responds to what you experience in the lucid dream state as if it's really happening yeah, so obviously. you're if you get healed by a magic healer god who touches you and your body fills with light your body physically will respond in a way where it starts to heal itself i think so i believe that that's how so you think that's what real doing. healing results could happen? They were creating them states as yeah. well to create that to create that deeper level of healing. Yeah, that's I've had a dream God. where um, Ahura Mazda came to me, the Zoroastrian Persian god, and he appeared as a being of light at, in the sky and came into my body. And as he entered into my body as this being of light, like I just absorbed him. I could see my DNA um, spirals uh, untwist and form these ladders that he could step down, like they're ladders of light. And my whole body felt like radiant and amazing and healed. And when you're lucid and you have those kinds of experiences, something amazing does happen to your body. Because mm. the one thing I always say to people about lucid dreaming in workshops is the associated feeling of euphoria and bliss when you are lucid is a healing state in itself, I think. And it, to me, is the kind of telltale defining um phenomena i suppose of knowing i'm in a lucid dream or, or telling other people that this yeah. is when you should know you're in a lucid dream because you get this wave of euphoria in your body it's interesting i mean i don't know if you know much about it i know you're speaking a little bit about it there they're moments of bliss but i've been doing a little bit of research lately and there's something because the period i'm at the stage i'm at in my life at the moment is that I'm, I'm being pulled more and more to meditation like just like we were saying before just sitting with myself and pure darkness and stuff and the, the body goes through these periods where you experience these full states of bliss and there's a lot of um ancient, I need to look into it more but there's a lot of ancient scriptures talking about how their moments of, of bliss are um a moment where you can you can um what's direct that bliss into certain aspects of your human vessel i don't yeah. know if you've come across i that. can see that and i see that in the terms of magic doing magic yeah. and chaos magic and stuff like that and even sex magic you know people mm. talk about using the orgasm 
yeah, thing definitely, to kind definitely. of manifest stuff. I think it's the same in dreaming and in those bliss states. And I find I get those bliss states in meditation as well, where when I'm in there, I direct it to a certain mm. thing that I want because you have in those moments you have no resistance and you are like fully flowing. And I think that's why they're powerful is because you have no resistance or blockages to the free flow of energy. It's interesting because you said about the example of the, I've, I've came across that before that, I've, I mean, I've tried it myself as well, the example of the, when you obviously, um, like obviously during sex and you obviously transfer that, that, that moment of bliss, transfer the energy, because there is an energy, like mm-hmm. um, sex is an energy. And um, I know the ancients, they believe that there's a, I think there's a, if you look, look up on the internet, I'm sure there's a, there's like a sort of a, a, a sounds crazy saying this, but like a check a checklist that was that someone uncovered saying of of what you actually do in the moment of orgasm, where you actually instead of obviously doing what you would normally do, you would actually transfer have a, a focus your attention and have a transference of that energy in a part of your body. Mm. I mean, it, it it is interesting to see if um it's it's clear to see that when you're in that when you're in that moment of of obviously sexual intercourse, it's. It is a place of no mind. I mean, and, and when you go into deep states of meditation, that's also a place of no mind. Mm. Well, it's the classic thing, because actually I was talking to Tree, mm-hmm. who you talked to earlier yeah. about doing a, a workshop about using the orgasm and especially referring to like that little death bit of orgasm that people yeah. talk about. Um, that's a perfect springboard to go lucid from that state of oh, really? no mind is an entry point into conscious dreaming because you know you do find yourself during the little death thing being like mm, d- like I wasn't asleep I wasn't awake I was just nowhere for yeah, however long and you can use that to be conscious of the hypnagogic journey and come fully conscious into a dream but I think yeah that's right I think there's no mind there's no anything and that's where you have kind of access to everything yeah definitely you were saying before, um, I took, wrote a note when you were talking before about your fascination with um, natural springs and stuff. Water really is an interesting one because I read this book once by a guy called, um, what was the book title? I can't remember what the title was called, but he's basically, the book was about how uh, water has some sort of innate memory. Mm-hmm. And um, when you were, we obviously talking about the ancient cultures, I read something a while ago about how um, the Great Pyramid of Egypt actually has some sort of natural water source underneath mm. it. Have you heard about that? Yeah, I've heard about that. That was in the Pyramid Code as well, wasn't it? Yeah. I think it's supposed to have like a, um, what's it called? Almost like a sort of matrix labyrinth of water-filled uh, canals underneath it. Yeah. Like, uh, And some people have said it's like the construction that Tesla made of like geomag- or, um, I have seen electromagnetic that when you put energy. them together, it looks a bit yeah. like it as well. Yeah, like a, like a, like some sort of like nuclear power plant sort of thing. Yeah, like a for energy energy generator yeah. of some sort. That's wild, isn't it? Do you think uh, this is obviously a big question? But we obviously it's what we've been sort of talking about the essence of what we've been talking about. Do you think there's a this place that we're living in is is um is there's like a spiritual evolution going on? There's I think there's always a spiritual evolution going on. Like we're always in this process. And um, I think we are going to return to a deeper understanding of spirit in probably quite a short period of time Mm. because we've kind of got to the point where we're exhausting our interest in material goods. It's not really done anyone much good. And you can plot the fall and rise of civilizations. You know, they 
they follow natural rhythms and um, uh, patterns. You know, like the stock market follows the same kind of patterns as any yeah. uh, natural process. Consciousness stock market. Yeah, so <laughs> I think it's a bit like that. I think that we're going to have to find a deeper meaning to life because the um, accumulation of material goods and money is not really making anyone massively happy. And they're kind of meaningless, really. And I hope that, you know, I think everyone should just be taught how to meditate at school. And you could cut out a lot of nonsense in the human you know journey basically mm. because we need to go back to more of a kind of hero's journey understanding of the human life you know and I feel like I've spent decades trying to get back to the, the way I felt when I was about eight like I'm now just doing all the things that I really loved doing when I was about eight years old and I've let go of the stuff that I held on to throughout my teens and 20s and 30s or whatever it's it's no one really coaches you when you're a child and yeah. sort of tells you about life or invites you to be philosophical or um and i think those things are really important actually we need those elders to share their wisdom with us about what the most you know what are the really important things in life actually there's something i think there's also i'm, I'm 100 percent with you but there's also on the flip side of that as well i've tried to um ask me mind in this that there's also something about the not known and then known again mm. like sort of um not having that teachings and wisdom i mean maybe we could be even further down the line if we did have them teachings but there's just this, i think there's something beautiful in the in the discovery discovery maybe. yeah the discovery yeah. of it and then realizing it's been there all along as yeah, well yeah, it's definitely. quite nice it's a bit like um falling in love with somebody actually yeah, like definitely. i remember people talking to me about love at first sight and i remember <laughs> thinking i've never really had love at first sight but i have had this feeling of um uh n knowing that you're going to be in love with someone eventually mm. and then when you are in love with them later on you're like i knew i was going to be in love with yes. you later on and then i found this there's apparently there's a japanese word for it and it translates of um uh uh, what's it called like premonition of love so instead of falling in love with someone straight away you yeah. have a premonition of love with somebody and i think that that's very accurate and probably what ho the whole of life is basically like that a premonition of life yeah, yeah <laughs> i like that um something i actually want to touch on just when you mentioned before was um i've spoke about this on the podcast but i would just love to, you've got so much knowledge and i would love to just I would sort of kick myself if I didn't bring it up to you. But when you were talking before about the cycles of sort of consciousness, like you said, the consciousness of, I said the consciousness of stock markets, of how stock markets have a rhythm and they flow and they have a pattern to them. Have, do you have any understanding on on the on them sort of cosmic cycles of consciousness? Because a lot lately I've been looking at this guy called um, Carl Kalman. He wrote this amazing book called um, called the he wrote one called i think the quantum mind but he also wrote another one called the nine waves of creation i think it is mm. i just wanted to know if you had any understanding around around the beliefs behind ancient cultures in terms of these, these um, ages these, that we're these, traveling yeah the through. ages that we travel yeah through. i get the the idea of these ages and they make sense from a kind of uh astronomical and astrological mm. perspective in some ways it's like we're part of a cosmic system and our modern life kind of stops us from thinking about that but i think ancient people were very aware of that and um 
you know, it's just like I'm a massive Star Trek fan, like massive Trekkie. And you kind of think about what would we be like? Like I had this idea yeah. last night, actually, that I think in 2020 we might <laughs> we might become aware of alien intelligence. And then what? Because we're so divided and we live just in one little planet. And if we had to come face to face with the idea of there being other planets and other intelligences and other ideas and powers out there that it might make all of our differences seem very like inconsequential which they almost certainly are and it's funny when you start talking about like the universe and uh, other planets and the fact that we live on like a ball in the middle of a vast ocean of stars it's ridiculous and amazing that we worry about anything whatsoever like nothing is that important and we have the potential within ourselves to have contact with that so we're so lucky to have any type of life at all really that we you know in any way can experience life and the universe is incredible it's funny because that knowing that you're talking about there as well and what we were speaking about before about how this um how that state of mind and that state of understanding around these these bigger perspectives of life of what this truly is has diminished in the monday life a lot well it's interesting because like you were saying before about the Monday world, how we have these all these lights, we live inside of houses and stuff. The ancients, there's obviously, I'm not saying they didn't live in confined areas, but there's definitely a lot of evidence that's built within the structures of the pyramids and things and other archaeological sites around the world that they were fascinated by the the stars. Mm. And we, we as a civilization, we don't even go outside, we don't look up at the stars anymore. No, and there's, I think that There's that, something about that, isn't there? It relates a lot to your perception of reality mm. um, in terms of how you respond to time and how you perceive time. And I think ancient people, for the most part, certainly did see time as this vast, endless, cyclical expanse that they were a tiny part of because mm. they planned for things yeah, that would would not come to fruition until great 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 grandchildren they built massive um calendars out of stone yeah. you know they they saw the sun rise and the sun set and that was their clock and actually that can become our clock and it should be our clock mm. but we've created these worlds within worlds of ever decreasing circles of time that just trap us deeper and deeper in our matrix you know but actually you know we are we are the children of the earth and of the heavens and we should respond to these uh planetary and cosmic movements it's our, it's in our nature that's what we should be doing i definitely think i'm with you and i, I definitely think there is a, a restoration of that balance coming it's, i think it, i know it's sometimes hard to see because i think at the minute in life there is this there's a, there is this dance at the moment between sort of going the wrong way versus going the right way but like i said maybe no way is the wrong way that's the only thing but I do well, it's a classic like traveling yeah. through your underworld maybe we have to go through a period of like yeah, not definitely. knowing what we're doing Birth and, and then you come to this thing of like it was there all along yeah. i always knew this you know i think yeah. people have access to this innate wisdom and even if i think meditation is literally the one thing that will mm. will restore that restore everyone to an understanding of connection with spirit and an understanding of timelessness and you know children are starting to learn to meditate in schools prisoners are starting to learn to meditate in prisons it's a huge leveling powerful 
act of consciousness that maybe just if we reach uh, enough people meditating on the planet will change the energy of the planet, you know? Yeah, we'll leave it there. What a podcast. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> what a podcast that was, by the way. Boom. Thanks so much for listening to that podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. It really was a mind-blowing one to me. Anyway, just to play this podcast out as I always do, this song is called Green Grass by Syllabella. I think that's how you pronounce it. But anyway, it's a beautiful song and I'm sure if you want to find it, you will find it. It's a really cool one anyway, just to play this podcast out as I always do. If you can, before I play this out, check out the Patreon page. Like I said, it's the best way to support the podcast. Also have a one-off donation option. And also just give you guys a heads up, I'm also now doing some one-on-one personal coaching. So if, if you are need, in need of that, please feel feel free to reach out and I will get back to you when I can. So anyway, catch you next week when I when I have another amazing episode. I think next week I'm going to pl- play, uh, do an episode of Observing My Thoughts. It's well overdue. So keep an eye out for that in about five or six days from now anyway. So I love you all, wherever you are in the world. Keep seeking people because it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, 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 beautiful ride. Peace out. Cry.